welcome to King's Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about King's Church, visit kcnyc.org. Before we do, I just want to pray. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give us ears to hear what you want to speak to us, what you want to say through your word. Um, Lord, I pray that we would have hearts that are ready to receive uh, hearts that are uh, rich in, in uh, good soil, Lord, not hard hearts, uh, not hearts that are, that, are, that are distracted with thorns and thistles, but Lord, I pray for hearts that are ready to receive the seed of your word and that it would go down deep and it would bear much fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we are uh, talking uh, on Sunday mornings um, about the story of uh, King Saul and David, King David, and um, I kind of want to, uh, what I want to do is I want to give you a, um, uh, basically a, uh, some doctrine on how Saul got to be where he was. Um, I'm going to be talking tonight about a doctrine called apostasy. Everybody smile and say apostasy. <laughs> It's wonderful. It should, it should make you feel warm inside. Um, apostasy is uh, a doctrine that we believe is orthodox in, in, uh, in, in that the church has always taught. And um, unfortunately, it's not taught, and it's uh, massively unfortunate because uh, when the church doesn't teach a doctrine, um, it doesn't properly uh, give people the spectrum uh, what what uh, Paul the Apostle called the whole counsel of God. Uh, and, he, and Paul was talking to the Ephesian elders before he left, and he said, listen, I've labored among you for two years, and I have not c- ceased, I've not shrunk back from declaring the whole counsel of God. And so we have to talk about uh, these issues. And uh, Pastor David loves it when I talk, because I'm always the bad cop. <laughs> and so... You get good cop on Sunday morning and bad cop on Sunday night. And, um, and so that's how King's Church works. And uh, everybody loves it. Everybody hates me and loves him and loves it. And so, and so really briefly, I want to uh, cover the story of uh, King Saul's fall. And uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 17 to 23, Uh, Samuel the prophet goes and talks to King Saul and says um, to King Saul, though you were, you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the the people took took, uh, of the spoil sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord, your God, 
in Gilgal. And Samuel said to Saul, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Everybody say, to obey obey. is better than sacrifice. And to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination or witchcraft. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. So this um, is the story of how Saul became insane and became uh, an apostate. The word apostasy means to fall away. He was a man who was anointed by the Lord to be king and then through his disobedience he was rejected. And uh, I believe in the Christian life obedience is the hinge upon the door. I believe Obedience, as George MacDonald said, is the opener of eyes. I believe that obedience has to, um, obedience is the crux of the Christian life. It's the cross of the Christian life. Why? Because it's where my will crosses God's will. This is my will, and this is God's will, and this is my cross. And that's your cross as well. If you want to find your cross, find the place where you don't want to obey God, where his will crosses your will. That's your cross. And every one of us have a different cross because every one of us has a different disposition or propensity towards sin which is rebellion against his will. You see, Saul was in a place where he thought he could gamify God. And this is the human tendency, right? Anybody ever played a video game before in their life? Yeah, one, two, three, all the guys in here, right. (laughs) Girls, look around. Avoid all those men, okay? (laughs) They're called losers, okay? I'm kidding, I'm kidding. If you play Civilization V, you're a winner, okay? That's the only game that's intellectually worthwhile, okay? It's a human tendency, um, so when we begin to play a game, we're, we suck at it, right? We, we naturally, we're like, oh, I don't know how to do this. I don't know. But then the more we play, the better we get. And then the better we get, the more we figure out how to manipulate certain things in the game. And that gives us an advantage. We find these secret passageways or we, you know, learn how to skip steps. And this is what's called gamifying. And um, this is what the Pharisees were really, really good at. And this is what Saul was doing. He was gamifying God's will. 
He was playing it. But you can't game God. He knows all. He knows your intentions. In fact, he judges your intentions. And he asks you why you do what you do. But all that to say, Saul was at this point where he thought that he could just go through the motions of religion without truly meaning it and somehow manipulate God and bargain with him on his will, thinking that, well, if I just uh, do this particular thing of sacrifice, then it, it shows God that I'm really doing his will. I'm spiritualizing this, so it must be right. And God sees through it all, and he sees, no, no, no. You're, you're, you're manipulating, and you're being disobedient, and you haven't done what I've told you to do. And really, you know, we talk about holiness, right? We talk about sanctification. Um, we talk about going to the next level. Um, we talk about Christian maturity. There's only one way towards holiness, sanctification, and Christian maturity. It's called obedience. I don't believe that um, coming up to an altar call zaps you and you're holy. I don't believe it. I'm charismatic and I was raised charismatic. I've seen miracles and signs and wonders and um, people, you know, bark like dogs and cluck like chickens <clears throat> and roll around on the floor and get up and still be unholy. Have incredible encounters with, with God, but still lack virtue. So how is that? Because of disobedience. I've seen people spend 20 years in church and, and, and be at the same spiritual maturity level as a person who's spent 20 months in church. The difference is, is the person who's spent 20 months in church has been obedient. That's the only difference. They're just more obedient than the person who spent 20 years. And when you become more obedient, you become more holy. That's what it is. It's, I don't believe you can gauge your spiritual perfection by anything other than obedience. And what that should do is actually humble us and realize, you know what? I'm actually not that holy because I'm actually not that obedient. Lord, help me. You know, this is the purpose of Lent. Lent is a season of self-examination where we have an opportunity to come uh, and, and examine ourselves and say, Lord, is there anything in, in me that you want to work on? Is there anything in me that I should be fasting and praying and weakening my body so that I can strengthen my spirit, so that I can, so that I can actually see what it is? so that I can actually become more obedient to you. So let's, let's uh, jump into um, another text here really quickly. And I always say that, and it's never true, but you guys are used to this by now. So Matthew chapter 7, verse um, 21 
Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Jesus says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. So he says, Lord, Lord, to signify that there's a twofold confession. There's, there's the voice that says and declares that you are Lord, which according to Romans chapter 9, or sorry, according to Romans chapter 10, verse 9, if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we are saved. So there's a double confession here of saying, Lord, Jesus, you are Lord, but there's also the confession of praise, that you are Lord. This person is confessing Christ as Lord and then praising him as Lord. And he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but those who do the will of my Father. So Jesus actually himself points to obedience, doing the will of God as the key to entering into heaven. So what, are the, what, what, is, what does it mean to do the will of God? Well, I believe that uh, fulfilling his commandments boils down to two things. To believe in him, to believe in Jesus in an orthodox way, to believe that Jesus is God and that he has saved us from our sins. And number two, to perform in act the commands of Christ. So to believe and to do. Those are the ways that we fulfill his commands. Jesus himself said in John chapter 6, 38, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So Jesus himself points to the fact that he was an obedient man for an example for us to be obedient. Now, what do we mean by Jesus was an obedient person? His human, we have to remember that he has two natures. His human nature and his divine nature are connected. But his, in his human nature, he was obedient to his father. In his divine nature, he's at one with his father in all things. And so the, the obedience isn't necessarily there. But in his human nature, he's obedient to the father in all things. And so for us, it becomes necessary to do the will of God as we follow in the footsteps of Christ. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, it says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. David said, Teach me to do your will, in Psalm 142.10. And Jesus also taught us to pray, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, Your will be done. Your kingdom come, and your will be done. Be done. And so, in God's commands, I believe that um, there, are, there are four things that are necessary. And 
the first is, and this is necessary for salvation, the first is, is that we confess with our mouth. So we have to believe that the beginning of our faith be starts with confession. We confess with our mouth as Romans chapter 10, verse uh, 9 and 10 says, that we believe in our heart, we confess with our mouth, and we are saved. But then I believe that there's a confirmation that has to take place through the miraculous. Mark chapter 16, 20 says, uh, going forth they preached everywhere, and the Lord was working confirming the word with the signs that followed. I do believe, and this, we believe this at the church, that there is, there is an expectation here for the miraculous. That we believe the Holy Spirit anoints, that we believe the Holy Spirit uh, uh, moves in signs and wonders and miracles, and so we have an expectation of that. Number three, we also believe that the word of God has to be heard, that a person has to understand the word of God, that the word of God has to go into their hearts, and that has to, it has to be met with faith. In John chapter 8, 47, it says, he who is of God hears the words of God. But the fourth thing here is really the key. It completes it. This is the roof on the house. It says in James chapter 1, verse 22, but be doers of the word and not just hearers. In other words, all of this must be followed with works. It must be followed with works. I don't believe that our works justify us. Um, but I do believe that our works justify our faith. I believe our faith justifies our soul and our works justify our faith. Because I believe that's exactly what the, the scriptures teach. And that's exactly how the church has always taught it. Now, there are people that might disagree on nuances there. But I, I, I believe that we are justified by faith. But if you have faith, you will follow, there will be works that follow. Because the scripture also says that people who, Paul says in, in Timothy that those who do not provide for their family have denied the faith by their works. And they're worse than an unbeliever. So it's possible to deny your faith by your works. And so Jesus says in verse 22, on that day, many will, will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Notice how he says, on that day. On that day, he's talking about the day of judgment. The day of judgment is the last and greatest day of the world when... Um, NATO finally fights Russia, <laughs> like we're all hoping for. I'm really cheering that one on. Can't wait. <laughs> Just got the pom-poms and everything. And um, <sighs> the idea here is, is that at the end of time, the fulfillment of time, which I don't believe we're at the end of time, 
Um, I, do, I do believe, uh, as Paul the Apostle taught, that there has to be a great falling away uh, and there has to be a revelation of an antichrist and there has to be a, a final, you know, kind of big, big deal. And I don't believe we're, we're near that because to fall away, to, to have a great falling away, there has to be a great coming to. So I'm hoping for a great coming to, a great revival that's going to sweep the earth. Once that happens, then there might be a great falling away, and there might be after that some stuff happening. But that's all in first, sorry, Second Thessalonians 2, uh, uh, 1 and 2. But in that, there's also the great day of judgment where Jesus returns and judges everyone based on their deeds. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, it says, All of us have a scrutiny to undergo before Christ's judgment seat, for each to reap what his mortal life has earned, good or ill, according to his deeds. Yikes. Each of us have a scrutiny to undergo. Every single person here is going to stand before Christ's judgment seat. St. John Chrysostom said, Then the works of each shall speak, while their tongues keep silence, nor shall one intercede for another. The church fathers believed in the day of judgment. We rarely talk about the day of judgment. We rarely have any sermons or messages or series on the day of judgment most of the time we're like we read you know scriptures on the day of judgment we're like judge not jesus <laughs> jesus judge not lest you be judged okay it's like yeah okay zap <laughs> holy spirit take care of that for him for me thank you okay so the idea here is, is that he says, on that day, many will come. Many will come. Ecclesiastes 1.15 says, the number of fools is infinite. Many will come. There are a lot of people, unfortunately, um, that uh, through original sin have a disposition towards rejecting God. And therefore, God rejects them. But look at, look at this. They, say, they will come and they will say, did we not prophesy in your name? How many people think prophecy is awesome? I think prophecy is awesome. Uh, my father prophesies and my sister has a gift of prophecy as well. And I think it's the most amazing thing. Um, they also said, did, did we not cast out devils in your name? How many people um, are, have even uh, had the ability to cast out a devil before? Okay, but not a lot. Some here, I mean, that's amazing. Tell me your story afterwards. Um, to cast out a devil, you do have to be, uh, you know, on the upper echelon of spiritual warfare. They said, and do mighty, many mighty works in your name. Many mighty works in your name. I sometimes wonder, like, you know, as charismatics, we emphasize, speak, uh, we emphasize prophecy and we emphasize uh, <laughs> casting out demons and spiritual warfare and doing many mighty works, spiritual works. 
And we're like, yeah, it's revival because people are prophesying and people are getting healed and, you know, this guy is, is doing all these wonderful miracles. So it's, it must be revival. God's just, you know, totally pouring his spirit out. And Jesus said, okay, well, these guys are going to come and say that they did all these things. But it's interesting, in Luke chapter 10, 10 17, Judas was sent out with the 12 and did miracles. Judas Iscariot did miracles and cast out devils. St. Jerome says, to work miracles is sometimes not because of uh, the goodness which works in a person, but it is the invocation of the name of Christ which actually performs the miracles. And he says later, there are certain gifts among the gifts of the Holy Spirit which are freely given. It is only charity or love which distinguishes between the children of God and the children of the devil. St. Jerome, church father, translated the Bible, wrote a commentary on every book. Knew his stuff. So here Jesus says, <clears throat> they're going to come to me, and in verse 23 he says, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you evildoers. I never knew you. Depart from me, you evildoers. Huh. So these people are working in Jesus' name, going to church, going through the motions. They're experiencing actual miracles in their life. They're working miracles. And Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. You know, it's interesting because I've heard this verse talked about so many times in a way that is um, Gnostic. What I mean by that, it, it's, it's, it's kind of uh, given this, you know, new age type of like, you got to know, you know, when you know, you know. <laughs> you know, these crystals help you know. <sighs> Do you know, you know? I don't know. Do I know? And we can, we can actually, if we're not careful, we can get away from this, the, the context of this. Jesus roots knowledge of him in obedience to the will of the Father. Jesus roots knowledge of him in obedience to the will of the Father. He says, only those who obey the will of my Father get in. And the people who don't obey, I don't know them. Knowledge of Jesus, knowledge of God is rooted in obedience. It's not rooted in your mystical substitute for yoga, spiritual exercises. I hate to tell it to you, but it's true. And we've, done, we've turned it into this, I just need to turn Hillsong on and get in my zone. Don't let me get in my zone. I'm only in my zone. <laughs> All right, there's a pop culture reference for the baby boomers. They don't get it. It's okay. I'll, I'll throw some Bob Dylan quotes in later. The idea here is we're, we're, we're all talking about, you know, you got to get, get in your zone. You know, you just got to get in your zone and you got to, 
you just got to turn some worship music on and just drive along and just talk to God. Now, I believe in prayer, but I don't believe that a prayer life is a substitute for obedience. I don't believe that God wants lip service. I also don't believe that coming to church makes you a Christian any more than standing in a garage makes you a car. <laughs> Look what he says. He says, he says, depart from me. I never knew you, you evil doers. Another translation says, you workers of iniquity. God's judging me on my deeds. Jesus is saying, I'm judging you on what you do. But we, but we did all these things in your name. He says, depart from me. And that depart from me is the same depart from me that's in Matthew 25, 41, when he, he will say to those on his left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell wasn't made for you. Hell was made for the devil and his angels. And we, when we sin, we do a number of things. But when we sin, in on a spiritual plane, we ally ourselves to the kingdom of darkness. We open ourselves to oppression by demonic spirits. And we place ourselves under the authority of Satan. Every time you sin in a mortal way, every time you sin in a way that is grave and serious, and there are grave and serious sins, stealing $5 is not the same as stealing $5 million. There are grave and serious sins. And when they're done with full knowledge and deliberation, they become grave. They become mortal. Paul the Apostle is very clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, those who practice these particular sins will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says it in Galatians 2 and in Ephesians, constantly warning people. Workers of iniquity. And then he, he says this, verse 24, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. He built his house upon the rock, and then the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Verse 24, everyone who hears these words of mine will be like a wise man who built his house upon a rock. No. What does it say? Everyone who hears these words of mine. No. No, no, no. I don't believe that. Christ alone, my cornerstone. Um, he will never fail me. It's all him. He just does it. I don't do anything. I just, I just uh, what I do is I put, um, I put it on cruise control. It's incredible. Cruise control, spiritual cruise control is the most amazing thing. You don't have to drive. I mean, it's automatic driver, too. It's like Elon Musk designed this thing. <laughs> I just sleep all day, you know? <laughs> and then I wake up and I live a debauched life. 
in New York. But um, no, Jesus says, he who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built. Who does the building? Who does the building? You do. You do the building. Upon which rock? The rock of Christ. Yeah. So there's what we call in, in, in Orthodox theology, we call this cooperative grace. That the Holy Spirit is here to help you. He's giving you grace to do this. Jesus wants you to be building on him. He's provided the foundation, a foundation that no other person could lay. But you have to hear and obey. Which, you know, I'm not making this up. This isn't Gabe, you know, coming up with some brand new, fashionable, amazing, look at how smart he is. There's a song that's like really old, and I think it goes, trust and obey, for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus other than to trust and obey. That's an old hymn. Our forefathers knew this, but we're so spoiled that we've forgotten it. Because life has become so easy for us. And I fear for us. Because Jesus said, "In everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rain fell. The flesh came. The floods came. The world came. The winds blew. The temptation of the flesh, the world, the devil, came and beat upon that house. You know, it's interesting. The man who is wise and the man who is foolish both had the same battle. Christians and non-Christians both suffer. I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't believe this, you know, uh, health, wealth stuff about Jesus, you know, if you follow Jesus, everything's going to be perfect and amazing. You'll never have a problem again in your life. You'll never have to deal with the world, the flesh, and the devil. You'll never have to deal with temptation. You'll never have to suffer evil. No, I don't believe that. I believe you'll have the answer that, that actually helps you to walk through the wilderness. You'll have the answer that actually helps you stand in the day of battle. You'll have the answer that doesn't destroy your house. So that when the winds blow, when the floods come, you will stand. Both the wise man and the foolish man had the same battle to fight. The difference is that the one heard and obeyed and built, therefore, built on Christ. And I do believe that the Christian life isn't such, it's, it's not this thing that is, you know, uh, rooted in, um, you know, this constant state of drama, you know. Um, I do believe there's drama, but I don't believe that it's this constant state of you're always sinning. You're sinning when you wake up. You're sinning when you sleep. I mean, I mean you know. If you go to some churches, like literally, they're always like, you know, everything you do is sinful. You're a depraved orc. You know, <laughs> looks like meat's back on the menu, boys. 
I don't believe we're orcs. Uh, I don't believe anybody is an orc necessarily. I think you can golemize yourself through vice. Um, but I, I think that we're kind of this Middle Earth, you know, mixture of good and evil. And I think that most of our lives, honestly, is, is caught between wisdom and foolishness. I think the majority of your life is, is actually decision-making. I think that uh, if, if sin is a city, uh, wisdom, uh, foolishness is the road. It's, it's the road that leads you to sin. It's what you do at 9 p.m. that determines what you do at 10 p.m., that determines what you do at 11, that determines what the sin that you get into at midnight. But you've had three hours of decision-making that got you there. Foolish decision-making. I would say that 90% of our lives is just dumb decision-making. How did you, you know, it's like, oh, man, I screwed, you know, I screwed up, man. I've fallen from grace. Well, yeah, but you've literally, your entire trajectory, all the decisions that you've been making for the past six months have led you to this moment where now, yes, you're compromised and you're in mortal sin. Yeah. Now you're living together. Yeah. It didn't start there. At some, you were feeding that baby King Kong a banana. <laughs> it's New York. I'm just trying to use references that they might understand. Um, wisdom and foolishness. We should be lovers of wisdom. We should be philosophers. We should be lovers of wisdom. Because the wisdom of Christ is the thing that helps us build wisely. Paul the Apostle talked about building wisely as a master builder. When we learn how to build wisely, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he talks about this. And he says that our, our works are going to be tested based on how we've built. Because some of us are building with, with straw. We're building on things that are temporal, that are useless. We're collecting, we're trying to get the biggest bank account in the room. And God's like, no, 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 no. You can't take it with you. You can't take it with you. You know what you can take with you? People. Yeah, you can take people with you. So have kids. Why not? Right? Raise them in the fear of the Lord. You can take them to heaven with you. Be a, be a winner of souls. Evangelize. You can take people with you to heaven. You will, those are the, actually, I think that's the only thing you can take from this earth is a soul. Yeah. So where is our priority? God's priority is your salvation. And he wants to work every single thing in your life towards that final destination. God's priority in your life is your salvation. And that is why the warning exists. Verse 27 says, The foolish man built his house upon sand. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell, and great was the fall of the house. Great was the fall. Great Babylon is fallen. In Revelation 14.8, we see that the, the, the world will end, end up eventually falling. All things will crumble. The only thing that will remain is what's done for Christ. And I do believe this, 
that um, Jesus ends his Sermon on the Mount with a warning. I don't like happy, clappy messages. <laughs> I don't like those inspirational messages where they're like, you can go take on the day. You know, in that accent, literally. There's way too many people in this city with Australian accents, no offense. <sighs> go back to Australia. Go back to the gulag. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We love Australians. I love Australians. My sister-in-law's Australian. I love her most of the time. Jesus, listen to this. Jesus, the, the full context here is that this is the end of his message. He's just preached what's called the Sermon on the Mount, which is considered to be the, the manifesto of the kingdom of God. He's just finished preaching his, the essence of his theology. He ends it with a warning because he loves you. He loves us and he wants us to be with him but he recognizes something called dignity. Dignity, which is free will. You're not a robot. You've been made in the image and likeness of God with an intellect and a will. That's the image of God in you. To know and to act. And so God says, God appeals to you. He, Jesus ends his message appealing to you and saying, don't fall away. Don't fall away. Build your life on the rock by hearing and obeying. Trust and obey. There is no other way to be happy in Jesus. The more that we obey, the holier we become. The holier we become, the happier we become. God wants you to be happy, but the means through which happiness takes place is holiness. And I believe that this season of Lent is a season of recognizing danger, saying, Lord, I'm going to pause. This city goes a thousand miles a minute. I'm going to pause. I'm going to quiet myself. I'm going to take this moment even in Lent, you can still get on Lent. It goes all the way till, uh, I think, Good Friday. But the idea here is, is that in Lent, you're, t you're saying, Lord, I want to get out of the danger zone. I might be in the danger zone. Lord, help me. Lord, I want to be obedient. I want to love you more through my obedience. I want to worship you through my obedience. The true sacrifices of God are a broken and a contrite heart. Contrition is the crushing of the will. Lord, crush my will. Help me by crushing my will so that you can direct it where you want it to go. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We really believe that God wants you to know him in a personal and tangible way. If there's any way we can assist your journey, please reach out to kcnyc.org.